Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Welcome to episode six of Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano. With me, as always, my co-host, the Angry Man Clayman. Uh, we wanted to take a second here to, to thank our listeners for your support and the comments that we continue to receive. Having said that, uh, today's episode, I think, is going to be uh, especially interesting. It's a topic that I know uh, Brian and I have talked about uh, numerous times, and uh, we continue to talk about it with our friends and colleagues in the business, and that is the veil of security, the sense that you know, that guy in uniform can actually take care of business when, uh, when in reality he can't because he hasn't been trained. Um, but before we do that, as always, I'm going to turn it over to Brian and see sort of what he's been thinking about over the last couple of weeks. Brian? Well, thanks, Luke. You know, before I get into that, I just want to comment about some of the comments that I'm hearing. Well, uh, you know, a lot of people are starting to follow us religiously, which is nice. And many sort of get angry after the session. And I think that's sort of nice also because that's sort of the idea to have some really good discussion and debate. And there's no one right way of doing things, but really to provoke some thoughts. So uh, for those of you that are out there that don't agree or do agree, that's wonderful. Keep giving us comments, keep listening, and keep saying that I've got it all wrong because my wife would agree with you. <laughs> Anyways, what keeps uh, me up at night is the last little while, or what I've been noticing is the gong show that just is continuing in the United States with the uh, political conventions. And just most recently, now that the Republicans have their time in front of the media, I was reading in the newspapers today after uh, the vice president was talking the other day, the theme seems to be what kind of alternate universe does the Republican Party live in? I mean, it's just amazing. And it goes back to, I think, one of our episodes about communications and the importance of communications. Everything that I said during that podcast about honesty, transparency, consistency, clarity is just out the window. The um, RNC uh, the other day, they were talking about the leadership role that the Americans have had in the COVID crisis and how the world is looking at what the Americans have done so they can replicate it. And talking about one conspiracy after another conspiracy, it's almost like a remake of Alice in Wonderland, where everything is in a mirror, where it's three o'clock in the afternoon and someone says the moon is bright tonight, or it's snowing and they say it's hot, and people follow. It just is amazing how people are unable to think anymore, and they just follow their demagogues, whoever they are, left, right, or center. I mean, I don't want to take sides, but I think everyone knows what I think about uh, President Doofus and his uh, team. But people just don't think and they don't challenge. So that's sort of what's keeping me up at night. And it's not only keeping me up at night, it's sort of increasing my blood pressure. So let's sort of move on to veils. Take a break while I add my uh, my, my two cents. Uh, I agree. I, I think you're in a twilight zone of some sort. Or I'm in a remake of that, that series. Because, uh, I don't see any common sense or, or truth 
on either side to a point. I'm not a big fan of Trump, but I'm also not a big fan of uh, uh, bedtime Biden or, or boring Biden, whatever you want to call him nowadays. But I mean, you you go to the, I watched the Democratic convention uh, two weeks ago, and and there was nothing about the violence going on in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's not happening. And then you turn it on to the uh, Republican uh, conference uh, he, this week, and the world's burning down. And somewhere in the middle, there's there's the truth. And I don't know how they're going to get to that with the electorate um, when they're so polarized. But it's it's frightening times down there. And I keep getting one vision in my head, and that's you know the, the shooting in Kenosha, the Kenosha, right? Where um, yeah. the young uh, teenager killed two people. And I just play the clip in my head. I, I see an officer walking down the street, and on one side, you know, the, the lefty extremists, and they're armed to their teeth, and on the right side, the right-wing extremists, and they're armed to their teeth, and here's this officer in the middle. How are you supposed to bring these people to a come together when they're yeah. armed, and, you know, at the top of a hat, people are starting to find shots. It's just free. I mean, jeez, this isn't the topic, but, you know, <laughs> God, they love their guns. Is that the kind of society you want to live in? I think it's time to move to North Korea, maybe, for some tranquility and some peace. They are on the verge of a civil war. And, you know, if you look at some of the video of some of the extreme violence that you're seeing in the States, it's not just people with placards and sticks saying, you know, hooray for my side, hooray for the other side. There's lunatics running around with their guns, better armed than the police, and they're shooting at each other. I don't know how much worse it could get. And then you've got the president saying that, there's no way they could lose the election unless it's fixed. What does the post-election period look like? I don't even want to think about it. No, I don't want to think about it either. And I don't think we have the time on this podcast to get into it. So let's okay. turn let's turn to our topic of of the day, and that is the veil of security. Um, and what I'd use as a, as an as an example to our listeners uh, to, to start off the conversation would be. The airport screening process has always been a good example of that, where uh, you know you've got your security lines. They do these pat down, supposed pat down, supposed checks uh, to create the illusion. What they call, I like the term I've heard in the past called the security theater, right? Security where, theater. Security theater, where they act like they're there to protect you, and obviously they are. I mean, the guys doing the jobs are there to, to fulfill that role. But in actuality, when you look at what they're doing and, and who they're targeting, they're, they seem to be more concerned with being polite and not offending anybody as they do these, these threat assessments basically on people coming through the line. There's no real rhyme or reason that I can that I can detect going through those security lines other than to make people feel like they're, they're secure. But the reality is they don't really know what they're looking for and they don't have the training, I think, to, to fulfill their demand. Well, there is a rhyme or reason and the rhyme or reason is to get my mother and your mother scared and compliant so that they don't hijack a plane. The problem is my mother and your mother were never the problem. It is theater. Okay. It is an illusion of security and it doesn't really work because especially if you have any understanding of airport operations, it's like having the front door of your house locked with a high security lock, but the back of the house is wide open. That's what's happening at the airport. And to your point, you know, my, my son uh, early in his security career was actually an airport screener. The stories he would tell me are just amazing. It's got very little to do with security, and it's a lot to do really with customer service and the illusion or veil of security. It really is a placebo to make people feel better. And, you know, just think for a second. Clearly my mother 
wouldn't be able to smuggle a gun or cockpit on a plane because it works. But I got to tell you something. The people that really do smuggle the guns, they know what they're doing. And the security is not set to deal with that. If you look at airport screening and if you want to look at it properly, look at what the Israelis do and the behavior profiling they do. They le- they care less about the so-called pat-down, if you will. They're looking at body language and they're doing predictive interviewing uh, and they are highly, highly trained and highly, highly skilled. There has not been an incident on an Israeli airliner, I think, since the 60s or the 70s, okay? There's a reason for that. Now, in fairness to uh, Transport Canada, CATSA, and the FAA, we don't have uh, planes being hijacked to Cuba anymore, and that part has worked, but that's no longer the threat. And I think the veil of security goes with, why do we have security? What are we protecting against? If you asked anyone at CATSA, or the FEA, TSA, I don't think they can really tell you. They, they, they have a stock answer, but if you talk to intelligence people, people that know what the threats are, what they're protecting against is not the things that are out there to hurt us. I think it's meant more for the general public to, to assure them that they're getting onto a point to reasonably safe and that they're doing their job, but in reality, I think most security experts would, would agree that the, com- the competency to actually secure those, those flights isn't as high as people would like to think. And there's all kinds of reports from, from the FAA and CATS. I mean, these guys test these people all the time. And the stats uh, on those tests are always poor. So if you want to get through, you'll still find a way to get through. And yet they focus, they seem to focus on the, the window dressing as opposed to the core issues. I, I remember going through security once and you know, my father at the time, he had steel, um, clamps or uh, bolts in his leg so he's triggering the damn security device right the metal detector and i walked back to try and tell the security people what the issue was my dad doesn't speak english very well they didn't have they didn't even give you the time to, to explain it they didn't want to hear it it was like this i'm the man in charge here and he ended up looking freaking silly afterwards basically clarify what the hell was going on oh sorry after embarrassing the man in front of the public for for a few minutes and looking like an idiot. And that sort of defeats the whole purpose of what they're trying to achieve there because everyone behind us saw that. Yeah, I was going to say, to be fair, though, you know, I, I'm not going to be as uh, damnation uh, or as hard, as negative as you are. There is value, but it's, you know, it's about expectation. You can't say that we're going to make flying safe when you only make it partially safe. And I recall a story, and we were at a conference together with some of our colleagues uh, an ASA's conference several years ago. And I think one of the keynote speakers was uh, General Colin Powell. And at the time, I think he was the Secretary of State. And he told us the story when he was flying out of Washington and he was going somewhere as Secretary of State. And he got stopped at airport security at the screening uh, center. And he kept tripping one of the alarms because they were seeing explosive residue on him. So he played along. You remember that story? Yeah. And he played along. And he uh, was polite with the screeners, and they had him go through it again, and he alerted again. And they had him go a third time. They said, General, uh, we're picking up explosive residue. Yeah, no, I understand, uh, but there's a reason for that. And then they called the police to attend, and then they called a bomb squad to attend, and the whole situation escalated. And He was being very polite, and he was saying to us in the audience, he said, well, you know, I had to because I'm one of the architects of this screening program. And they were just doing their job. But he went on to say when they came, and he said, look, I was just in the military base, and it's possible that I could have been your ordinance and picked up some gunpowder. But he asked the screener, he said, son, do you know who I am? 
Yes, General, you're Colonel Powell, General Powell. And he says, do you know what my job is? Yes, sir, you're the Secretary of State. And he says, well, do you, I, I believe you that you believe that there is explosive residue somewhere on my body. What is the likelihood you think that I'm here to hijack the plane? He says, none, sir. Then why are we going through this? Because that's the policy. And that's the veil of security. That's yes. the illusion. We yes. just go through the motion for no purpose. And exactly. that's what the problem is. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the problem is going through the motions. The other, and the other piece of it is not understanding what those motions should be. <laughs> I, I, you know, the, the more common experience at the airport, and I'll stop talking about it, but the more common experience for travelers, I think, is sort of like me when, um, I had my, my, uh, my torch lighter for my cigars and I left it in my suit pocket and I traveled through Toronto. I traveled through Vancouver, no issues. I travel into Calgary, no issues. And then I'm leaving for Calgary to come back home to Toronto. And lo and behold, I get stopped. Hey, this torch lighter's got to be seized. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I just went through air- three airports, all of them in Canada. And now it doesn't qualify. I, I can't get, I can't bring it on the plane because you say it's, 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 it's a weapon or it's dangerous. What happened to the other three cities? Yeah. And that's where I think people lose their faith in the system and that it's just theater. They don't really know what they're looking for because there's no consistency and there's no sort of uh, defined item or mandate that, that that drives the program. I don't know. Or, that, that's or, or I would suggest the opposite is true. They have incredible faith in the system. They think they're safe. They think they're protected. And they're not. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but if you look at this veil of security as it relates to a commercial building such yes. as an office tower or a shopping mall, I go there with my family thinking it's safe because I see a lot of people in uniforms that say security and I see a lot of cameras hanging up on the wall. Okay. I think it's safe, but really I may be at more peril than I would be if there was no security because quite honestly, I don't know how they're trained. I don't know if the cameras are working properly. I don't know if the operator using the cameras knows how to use it properly to the airport example and the veil of security example. Just because you have security doesn't mean you're safe. And if we could tie it back to COVID, just because we're in phase three and restaurants are opening and retails are opening doesn't mean it's safe to go out. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the people are following the guidance and know what they're doing. That's dangerous. It's easier and better to say we have no security, every man for themselves, and then I know I got to keep my guard up rather than letting the guard down. So I agree with most of what you said, but I, I, I think it's not that you lose confidence. I think you have confidence uh, unrealistically. Just like in the U.S. right now, you're talking about that with leaders. People believe in Biden. People believe in Trump. I don't know that they're being served well by any of them. That's a that's a veil of political leadership. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the old joke, you lift the veil to kiss the bride and you see, hey, I didn't see that. What was there? I mean, you know, you got to be careful. You got to do yeah. your due diligence. The, the reason why it's important to understand it is that the veil of security, if that's the program, if that's the type of approach you're taking, um, you know, creating a sense that you're secure, but you're not actually secure. I think the problem there is that obviously you set your company up, your business up for liability because at some point someone or something is going to happen and that veil is going to be pulled back. In this case, you know, you've got a security guard who you think is going to be able to intervene or a security camera that's supposedly recording. And once that event happens, you realize that, oh, crap, that guard has no freaking idea what he's doing or that camera's not working. And all of a sudden you're shelling out dollars and cents for something that could have been avoided if you actually practiced what you preached. 
What are your thoughts? Well, you're right. I think, you know, it, it comes back to what I always say. I've said in this podcast, I say this as a security practitioner, it comes back to what is the objective or mission of the security program? Unless you know why you're searching a passengers going on to an airplane, unless you know what you're doing with all those cameras in the building, unless you know what the expectations are out of the security uh, team, you, you can't ensure a predictable or defensible outcome. So I think business has a response. You know, every business out there knows why it exists. Apple exists to change the way we use technology, to be a disruptor, to bring the best technology to enhance our, our lives. The coffee at Tim Hortons tastes the same every single time, and I can usually get it in a couple of minutes or less. So I know what I'm getting. The problem with security, for some reason, there's a veil. And every time you lift the veil, it's like the Wizard of Oz. You don't know what's on the other side of the veil. And I think it's simply because we go through the motions of security without really appreciating why we're doing it. I'm getting up because my dogs are barking and they're bugging me. I don't know if you heard them. <laughs> no, I'm not getting up to go to the bathroom. Okay. What, okay, so Mr. Uh, Lucky Man, what are your thoughts? Argue with me. <laughs> I'm trying to remember where you left off there. Right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm angry. What I was saying is that basically if you don't have a mission, if you don't have a reason, okay, you're not going to succeed. And, and, and are you listening to me now, Luke? Yes. Okay. I'm listening. okay, because all other businesses, okay, most businesses to succeed, they wouldn't be in business if they didn't know what they're, what, why they're in business and what their objective is. And they have a business plan and certain things they have to achieve. This is a timeline when different things are going to happen. But we don't see that in security. I was uh, dealing with a client and helping them set up a security program and hire a security manager. And they just thought, okay, we'll get this guy and then that's it. Life yep. is good. It's a journey. It's ever-changing. And just like the business is tweaked, the security program has to be tweaked. The veil of security is that we just go through the motions of putting security in place, technology, people, but we don't revisit it, and it's going to result in brand and reputation damage or even worse. Okay, so now that I've repeated myself, can you contribute to this podcast? I can edit that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I really want to talk about, like, I know where you're going with that, but I, see, security to me is, it's got unique challenges because we are seldom the driver of the business. So you talk about Apple, they're, they're, they're there to, to sell technology and security is a component of that. Uh, property managers are there to provide space and security is a component of that. Security really comes in as a, as a, as an added service. No, as support. an, as an enabler. Yes, to support Not, the business. Yeah, that's right. That's but, what I was going to say. But that's where the failure is. Yeah. Because security is an enabler, and unless you see yourself as an enabler, a key element of the overall success of the business, security will fail. And the veil of security occurs because security doesn't know what its purpose is. Therefore, it's just there thinking that's all we do. They don't challenge themselves. How does this enable the business to succeed? I would challenge that view because I think a lot of times – there are good people in this business who know what security is, what they can do to support the business, and they do their best to establish a program, a governance, uh, you know, a framework for those programs to operate. I think part of the problem, and, and 
I don't buy into this argument of it's up to you, as in it's always up to you to succeed. And if, you know, it's win or lose, it comes down to your shoulders. Because at the end of the day, you could be the best freaking uh, security leader in the world. If you don't have a culture or a company that's willing to embrace your views of what that program looks like, then you're dead in the water. There's not much yeah. you can do you yeah. have to push it forward. And I think that's where the veil of security really starts to rear its ugly head. When you got a guy, you know, you were in the same place in our previous lives in situations where no programs existed or policies were lacking. And so we created those policies and programs and we put them in play. But once they get into, once they get positioned and implemented, if the company doesn't support those policies, then that's your bail starts to yeah. be created right there because it's just bullshit. Well, I'm going to unpack because you said a lot of things and I disagree with almost everything you said. <laughs> for, for, for starters, the veil of security exists when you don't know what your responsibility is, what your role is. Your role is to enable the business, okay, to innate, to, to support the business in the overall goal. So you've got to tie the business plan, the security business plan to the overall business uh, uh, plan of the organization. And when you do that, there isn't a veil of security because security is purposeful and it succeeds, but that happens far less often than people that are just going through the motions. And when you say, the other thing I would take umbrage on when you say that you disagree, that if the culture is not there, no matter how hard you try, it's not entirely your fault. The buck's got to stop with someone. And it's the responsibility of the security director or the senior security or risk person to be able to connect what we do in security and demonstrate the value we bring to the business. Because if you can't do that, if you can't show why it's important and how it's going to enable the business to succeed in the overall objective, you probably don't need security anyways because you were in, you were not successful connecting the dots between why you're spending X on a security program and what is the return for the business. And that's on us as security leaders. So put that in your pipe and smoke. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you because I, I've heard too many examples. And actually, I had a coffee with a guy this morning he was recently let go from his role, and I know the guy to be a pretty good, pretty good security manager. And the arguments were the same. I've heard them over and over again from numerous people. Where you know you you've got the policies in place, the, uh, your business is supporting those those policies. They they've implemented them, and then lo and behold, when you start pushing those policies, you know they look the other way. They don't want to support anymore. Hey Brian, you better take a step back. Uh, we understand that that's not within policy, but let's look at, let's bend the rules a little. And that's not the fuck. So that's where I take exception when you say the, the security manager has to wear it off. You know what? If I built the program, I need your support. Sort of like the, the, the chiefs in the U.S. right now. There's laws there that govern the state. There's there's authority there for them to go in and take control of those situations. But when the mayors are walking away and basically saying, hey, here's the keys to the city, what the hell's a chief of police to do? Yeah, I know that, but we call that Darwin's theory of evolution. Those are dodo birds that are going to go extinct. If you've got an organization, okay, or bring it to politics type thing, you sort of alluded to that, what's happening in the states with the civil unrest. If you don't support the police, if you don't support the rule of law, you're going to have anarchy. And then life as we know it will not be here. Well, the same thing with the corporation. If a company, let's say, again, operates a shopping mall, and they don't lift the veil of security to see it's ineffective. And they allow cars to be stolen from the parking lot and people to be yeah. mugged. 
they're going to go out of business or they're going to lose the management contract at that mall soon enough. So yeah, just like the dodo bird, they will go extinct. There are sometimes, you know, you can, the old adage, you can take a horse to water, you can't make a drink. Your person you had coffee with that just got let go, he may not be the problem. There are some people that are beyond saving. It's just too late. And a good security guy, no matter how good he is, if you're working with people that really aren't talking the same language, you're not going to succeed. But assuming that the security uh, uh, director can tie the security program and its business plan to the objectives, overall objectives of the business, you will always succeed. Because if the CEO isn't going to embrace the protection of assets, people, business process, he won't succeed financially, and he won't be the CEO for long. It all works itself out. you know. And that's why I say, listen, sometimes you can do all the right things and still lose. And I think you and I had the scar tissue in the many years we've been in this business where we've done nothing wrong, but we didn't come out on top. And that's just the way the world works. Generally speaking, if you're with an organization that wants to do the right thing and is looking for talented, innovative people, I think you're going to succeed more times than you won't. And, and I think, and I think you disagree with me. I do disagree with you because I don't see that. I think your you, what you say is is true, uh, and I agree. If the, if the organization is there, that everything will work out. The problem is, I don't think most organizations are there. That's the thing. Most organizations, like we talked about, you know, in previous episodes, certainly ones who don't have security apparatus to begin with, they don't appreciate security. They may have it because they think they need it. And to bring in security managers who try to change that, how many times have we heard of security managers going into places who talk about they need more guards, they need more more CCTV, and what's the answer they get? We don't got money for that because that's what drives the business. It's not yeah. the security risk. It's the but, let me, but let me challenge that, okay? So we need more guards and we need more cameras, and it, they get denied. They don't get the guards or cameras. What's the result? If it's nothing, then they didn't need more guards. See, if it's consequential and they don't have enough guards, and because of that, uh, there's mayhem in the building, and as a result of that, they can't lease space and they're losing space, they'll get the guards. But if at the end of the day, there have been many times, you know, my previous lives, and I made a business case, and I wasn't successful in making my point, and the reality was the world didn't come to an end. Now, you know, I saw the cracks starting to form, and I knew, and I was unsuccessful in sort of articulating that if we don't do something, this will become a this fissure will become a serious problem at some point. But it was not an imminent problem. And when I got inside the head of the the the, the C-suite people, they were just looking a year or two down the road. They weren't looking at longevity because this particular building maybe they were planning to sell in two or three years down the road. And they didn't really care. And I think that's where the failure is. I think it's astute leadership. But I think the veil of security, that illusion of security is problematic because a security director, security managers, see and acknowledge the veil, but they don't do anything about it. And they don't do anything about it because they don't have the business acumen or savviness, or they just don't know what to do. I disagree. I, I think you're putting too much onus or, or uh, power for lack of better, in the security people. Unless they're reporting to the C-suite, which is very rare, and most of the times they're, they're, they're reporting to some operational dude, doesn't want security overseeing them or meddling in their, in their business. So you're already at a disadvantage. You just hear too many times that even my own, you know, in my experiences with my security managers when, when, when I had them, 
those guys, there were some good security managers. They tried to present business cases. And actually, we did a lot of improvement in, in presenting it in a business savvy way, you know, what the risks were, what the opportunities were. But I think, you know, when you say, well, if nothing happens, then it was never really an issue. It's a bit of a false, false argument because you base, you're basing things on what you know and what you see coming down the pipe. So the fact that it doesn't happen doesn't mean that it wasn't a valid argument. I'll give you the example of the woman getting raped in the parking lot, right? Like that's a common occurrence, relatively common yeah. occurrence in our, in our, in our industry. And so it's something that's foreseeable. It's not off the charts, you know, remote possibilities. It could happen and does happen. You've got security guards putting forward arguments that speak to that and they get kiboshed all the time. The fact that it doesn't happen at their property doesn't mean that the argument doesn't hold water. It just means that they've been freaking lucky. That's all no, it is. You're right about that. Okay. But the veil is, we're talking about veil of security here and you don't always win. Quite honestly, more often than not, you don't win. But if you acknowledge the veil of security, if the business case says, I need five guards, but you're only giving me three guards, or right. I need a new access control system and you're not going to approve it, understand then that these are the risks, this is the exposure, and we're going to do our best, but we can't guarantee. It's like life insurance. you know, No one plans to die, but you've got to be prepared. So the business case would say, I'm just trying to proactively position the company so we're defensible and prevent bad things from happening. You're not approving this. Understood. Okay. Maybe I don't understand the reasons. You may not agree with the reasons, but understand we will not have the level of security you need. To me, that's not a veil of security issue. That's an organization which has assessed their capabilities, understand that they're underprotected, and they're going to do their best to deal with it. To me, a veil of security is we think everything's good. Let's go home. And you're not good. So I think, I think this may be one of our fundamental differences in how we're viewing it. The lens we're, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but when I talk about veil of security, you're talking basically to the company. It looks great, but I'm talking about to the public, to the people that you're serving. You may have, like you just said, you get two instead of five guards to the public. They're going to see that two guards. They don't know that you're supposed to have five guards as far as the public's concerned. That guard's roaming the property. That guard's going to be available. He's going to be able to respond. And that he's fully trained to do what he needs to do. They have no freaking idea that there should be five there. And that, to me, is the veil of security because you're presenting them this facade that, wow, we're top-notch. We're a Class A property. When in reality, it's bullshit. After 3 o'clock, yeah. you're down to two guys. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no, no there's no security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know what? I would agree with what you said. I mean, when I go to the hospital and I see someone wearing a white coat and a stethoscope around their neck, I'm assuming they know what they're doing. Right. I'm assuming that they're trained and they can take care of me. And if they say to me, you know what, uh, roll up your sleeve and I want to inject you with something, I'm assuming, okay, that there is no veil over here that they know what they're doing. So to that point, you're right. And, and, and I think if when we look at veil of security from, from the perspective of, the users of the service, of the building, of the uh, of the company, we have an obligation to convey honestly what the capabilities are. Bring it back to the airport example. I a lot of people travel comfortably, thinking that they're safe on an airplane because there's no way a bad guy can get anything on. And I, like you, experienced a trip from Toronto to Vancouver a few years ago where a guy had a knife. He wasn't a terrorist, but my eyes popped out when I saw him take out the knife and start cutting up an apple. And when I told the stewardess, she thought I was drinking or smoking something. 
And she asked the guy if he had a knife, and he said no because he knew he shouldn't have. Anyways, long story short, when we got to Vancouver, the police were on the plane, and they picked him up. I don't know what happened with the guy. But the point is, I thought up until that moment that that wasn't a likely scenario. And that veil got pierced in my mind at that point. That's when I realized the joke there for security. So you're right. And, and I think to bring it back, you know. You say we had, one more time, I have to record that. And to bring it back, though, I think it's really important that we've got to be, you know, it comes back to communications, honesty, and transparency. I think we've got to, by our actions, uh, uh, when people, you know, either employees or tenants, or occupants, or customers, or clients, or stakeholders are using the services of the company, they not only have to feel protected and secure, they have to be protected. Privacy legislation. We all see on websites, what's your name, your phone number, your address, your date of birth, all this stuff. Here's our privacy statement. Everything is okay. You know, and I know, what a joke that is. I know firsthand, and I'm not going to mention companies, but places I worked at, we had all these privacy statements. We yeah. We guard your information judiciously, and the information is in an unlocked drawer in someone's desk in the office, open to everyone. You have to manage that expectation, and you have to not only manage the expectation, you have to be capable of delivering, and if not, you have to accept the fact that you're letting down. You have a fiduciary responsibility. You're letting down the people that are relying on you. And and again, bringing it back to what's happening nowadays, you know, what keeps uh, angry man up at night, is the, the veil in the states the you know the president is saying what a great job we're doing and people are believing it and they're dropping like flies in some cases that, that that's what we're talking about yeah absolutely and and I think the, I mean you start to, to spread the argument out as what the impacts uh, or the implications of that veil are and it's not just veil of security but you know you talk about the, the governance piece uh, with the policies and procedure I mean to me I always found that Freaking hilarious! You get this this email from you know usually HR saying, "Hey, here's our policy on ethics, or here's our policy on whatever," and this constitutes you basically reading it, and now we're clean, we're safe. I mean, that's yeah. a bunch of crap, and yet everybody does it. And yeah. then the best part is when when someone actually takes you to task on that. So, for example, harassment's a great one. I love these companies with these flowery policies on. We're, you know, we're serious about harassment in our workplace, so we won't tolerate it. And then when they get a complaint, what do they do? Well, it's not really a complaint. Let's turn it over here. It's sort of do their best to avoid it unless they absolutely have to face it. And what does that tell you? You know, what's, what does that tell your employees? What does that tell your staff? What kind of culture does that breed in the long run when that's the kind of response they do? Or they're prepared to sacrifice someone. I don't yep. know about you. I'm sure it's the same. But I worked for a financial services company. I worked in commercial real estate. And we sign every year code of conduct, ethical behavior type thing. Mm-hmm. And when I worked in the financial services, we talked about illegal trades and all that type of stuff. I'm not a smart guy, okay? Like three and four really gets me. Three and four is eight, right? No, that's seven, I think. Yeah, but it really gives me a headache to try and figure it out. And I'm signing a 20-page document about ethical trading and things like that. And I remember going to my manager saying, I really don't understand any of this stuff. And he said, just sign it. Just sign and what it. do we do? I sign it, and then something happens, and the company goes and says, well, he knew he signed the document. That's just an illusion. It's just hocus pocus. It's just checking off a box, and that's what we're talking about today. That's exactly what we're talking More about. often than not, organizations just go through the motions, but they don't live the values. They don't live the experience. And I, I, I think the public has to be aware of that. 
you know, I was telling a client uh, uh, on COVID and recovery, and I said, you know, you've got to be able to not only say that you have a COVID strategy and it's safe to come into our restaurant, you have to be able to demonstrate what it is you're doing by the actions of your staff every single day. I said, for example, you should clean the tables. You do clean the tables. I said, you should clean the tables just as you're seating the person, the, the, the new person coming to the table so they could see that you're living, you're, you're, you're actually doing what it says you're going to do. And that's what the veil of security is. You know, we talk about, you know, maybe I'm getting too far ahead of myself, but we talk about technology. This is a safe building. I can't tell you how many times I was working with leasing on a new client, on a new tenant, and they would uh, be making a presentation talking about how security is so important. They talk about the 4,500 cameras that we have in the building and the 3,500 alarm points and all this type of stuff. But they don't talk at all of the fact that they have all these cameras, but no one's trained on how to use it. And they don't talk about the fact that there's 14,000 false alarms a day. They don't talk about the fact that when you hit the panic uh, alarm, the security guard comes up there and he has no idea what to do. They don't talk about that part because that doesn't go well with the narrative. Yep. That's the illusion. That's the veil. And that's the thing that has to be addressed. And I tell you, our, our listeners, especially our listeners that operate businesses, have to take this seriously. Because if you say, I've got insurance to deal with the liability of being sued, insurance is going to help you with your brand and reputation when people are getting assaulted in your parking garage because your camera watched the person getting assaulted, yet no one ever responded as a result. You may get insurance to pay the $100,000 you're sued for, but the damage on Facebook, on YouTube, and the news of your company being dragged through the mud, you may not recover. Yep, absolutely. And, and I, I was actually in, in doing some preparation for this uh, for this podcast. I was looking at some of the um, results of the negligent cases or cases that have been brought forward because of negligent security or veil of security because it failed them. And the by far the majority of those lawsuits were coming out of shopping malls, stores, and apartments, you know, complexes, yep. and, and restaurants. We're not talking about office towers, really. We're talking about retail space. So. They really should be paying attention to it because they are becoming more and more common. You know, precedents have all been set. There's a ton of case laws you can read online in both Canada and the U.S. that speak because companies just are starting to be held accountable for these types of things. You got that duty of care, like you said, duty of care to yeah. everyone who comes onto your property and for you to knowingly put something out there and then know that it's not working properly or not fulfilling its mandate, whether it be a security guard who's not properly trained or a camera system that doesn't work properly, you're yeah. going to be held accountable no matter what you, you want to tell them. Go go and explain to them that someone's dead in your parking lot because you didn't have the you didn't want to spend the money for that extra guard or for that extra camera to go in that spot where you knew something was going to happen. Like good luck with it. Listen, I would just encourage any listener out there just do a Google search under negligent security yeah. Toronto or Canada. Forget about the state. And look at the law firms that come up and read what those law firms are saying on their sites. Uh, you don't pay unless we win. I mean, they're coming for you. And if you can't demonstrate a modicum of effort, okay, that this was not just a humanoid in a uniform, a brain-dead amoeba in a uniform, and I know I'm going to drive one of our friends crazy that always calls <laughs> you uh, and complains <laughs> after uh, because he doesn't like the positions I take. 
but you know, does something stupid, okay, you're going to get nailed. You have to demonstrate, no, it wasn't a veil of security. It wasn't an illusion of security. There was a real effort made. There was training. There was super uh, supervision. There was really a strategy, an overarching strategy. And these aren't words. You know, I'm not just saying this because I'm now a consultant and this is how I make my money. I mean, I hope uh, people call me and use my services. But, you know, just open your eyes. You have an obligation. And if you don't do it right, it's going to hurt you in ways you can't even imagine. I'm just scrolling down some of these, these case laws that I had here. And you see just a steady stream of no security guards were present. Uh, no perimeter security was, 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 uh, was being done. No lot attendance, even though they had said there would be a lot attendance. Inadequate monitoring of CCTV cameras. Uh, inadequate training. No documentation. I mean, the list just goes on and on of common sense, practical things that they should be part of a, a robust program, but people just ain't doing them. Because they're, they're, they're not doing them. People often will take a look and will see cameras all over the place and they will see access control and keypads and biometrics and really think, wow, this is a protected and secure building. But I will tell you, I'm going to lift the veil for our listeners, okay? And I'm going to bring it inside that only... Certain people get to see what's really happening in many cases, not in all, but in many cases. Let's talk about access control. When is the last time you left your office Friday afternoon at 5.30, the last one out, and you actually locked the door? I know that when I started working 30 years ago, I would lock the door, but no one locks the door. Ask someone at the Royal Bank or at GWL Realty Advisors or at uh, some insurance brokerage. Who's got the key for the door for the office? No one's got the key. The landlord has a sophisticated access control system. But do you know who has access to that access control system? Do you know what time the doors are supposed to lock? Do you know who's looking at the alarms that are being generated and doing things? Often it's no one or it's someone that's not trained. So let me give you some real-life examples. What happens on a long weekend when Monday is a holiday? And the schedule says you're, we're open Monday to Friday from 9 to 5. Is that door locked or is it being open? And how do you know it's actually locked? Do you trust that the person that's operating the system is properly trained? Because I will tell you, it's an industry secret, most of the time they're not. They may have gotten a 20-minute session from the other security guard before he went off duty, but they're not really properly trained. And what about door-forced open alarms? You would be surprised to find out how many times a door is forced open, which basically is a break-in. It's been forced open. But because it happens at 8.30 in the morning, or it's held open, let's say, at 2 in the afternoon, an assumption is made it's just the cleaner, or it's just traffic going through. It's nothing to worry about. It's an assumption. Why do they make that assumption? Because that's probably what's happened in the past. Or they don't have enough security guards to respond, so they're just assuming. Or they've arbitrarily on their own decided that during the day from 9 to 5, we're not going to respond. Has anyone told you that? You're the tenant. Have you? Is it written in your lease anywhere? That's the illusion of security. That's the veil of security. And I want to roll, Luke, if you'll indulge me for another second. You know, alarms. I am amazed when I walk into a building to do a review or an audit and I say, how many alarms do we have in this building? And they'll say, probably none, two or three a day. When I look at the log, there's 15,000 or 18,000. And I say, how can that be? And they say, what do you mean? There's only two or three. 
And I say, well, no, look at the log. And I say, oh, no, that's nothing. That's just the cleaner holding the door open. Or that, that's just people coming and going. Or they forgot to call security. And I said, okay. And how long has this been going on for? 26 years. And then my next question is going to be, well, if that is the norm, why don't we ignore the alarms by uh, uh, putting them into history or purging them so that they don't come onto the screen? Because when you have that much clutter, real alarms get missed. That's part of the veil of security. People think that the camera, when you're going down to the parking garage at 10 o'clock at night because you work late, someone's watching you. No one's watching you. In most cases, that's for after the fact. After you've been murdered, we'll look at the camera, not during. That's what I mean about the veil of security as it results of technology. You've experienced that, Luciano, haven't you? firsthand? I know you have. Yes, yes, yes. Don't try to get me the joke. I want names, dates, places. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree that, that that's definitely a, a big problem in, in the industry. You know, part of the problem, the technology isn't the problem in the sense that we can do anything that we want to do. We can achieve a whole lot of things that we couldn't in the past. Uh, things like, you know, monitoring vast sections of the, of the building uh, with analytics. So you only have one guard instead of four guards having to do that same job, for example. So, so technology certainly isn't the issue, I think. I think the issue is people don't understand how to you know, deploy it. Exactly. People don't under, and people and and when they do understand how to deploy it, they don't want to pay to put the right resources in place to deploy it properly. You know, exactly. So your point, like you say, you got one guy watching. People don't. I don't know how many of our listeners actually been into an SOC, but I remember the old days, and it's gotten better now. But the old days, you have a guy, poor guy, sitting there, especially overnights, with nothing other than the screens in front of him, and he's got like 64 cameras up there. Yeah, and yeah. you'd go in there and they'd say, you know, this is great. Look at how many cameras we got. 64, 84, 150 cameras, all on, a, on the straight uh, video wall. But was it practical? No freaking way. You can't see anything. That doesn't no. accomplish it. And so, you know, sort of to what you were saying earlier, technology can be used to definitely make that, that whole experience better and more effective. You can cut down on your alarms, you know, you talk about the 15,000 alarms. I know, you know, some of our listeners who, who know the business are going to say, well, yeah, 99% of those are fake. And you're right. But, but the then why is, are they coming to screen? Well, why are they coming in? Like, yeah. let's, let's build the system so That's that right. we understand that. But all, way too often, certainly, you know, in some of the, the experience I've had, way too often, it was too easy or easier. You know, and I hate to say it, but usually operational people sitting there going, well, we know that contractors are on that floor, so yeah. just ignore it. And so it gets back to my earlier comment about the governance piece and, you know, is security really at fault? Can you blame the security manager? Well, in this case, I would say no, because the, the, the manager has the processes in place, but there's the pressure from no, the company no. saying, ignore it. I disagree with you. Of course you can, because it is the responsibility of the manager to ensure that the governance is in place. So, for example, I had a building in my last life, and I went there, and they had the 13,000 alarms. And I asked the, the when I had a meeting with the team and the manager that was there, I said, how is that? And he explained, as you said, Luke, that false alarms, cleaners, yada, yada. It's just the way it is. And I said, great, okay. So I said, I expect to see 13,000 incident reports about the alarm response. They laughed at me. They said, no, you're not serious. I said, I'm bloody serious. I said, an alarm, there's only three reasons there should be an alarm. One reason is because there's a crime or something bad's happened. And you're telling me that hardly never happens, and I would agree. The other reason is because of user error, 
And the other reason is because of it's broken. The technology is not working as designed. Okay, a maglock is not a holding properly, whatever the case may be. So I said, part of the alarm abatement strategy is at least the first time, every time the alarm comes, it has to be either acknowledged, it has to be acknowledged, either discredited or it's an actual alarm. And how do you do that? You dispatch. And I know we're going to be very busy, but you get there and you make a determination. Why did that alarm go off? And if you see a guy with an AK-47 walking in, we know it's crime, category one. If we see the cleaner trot the door open as he or she's removing garbage, we know it's human error. And uh, that's category two. Or three, if you go there and you see the maglock is hanging and the technology is uh, smashed, we know it's broken. So let's talk about the easy one first, broken. If it's broken, we call the alarm company, we fix it. If it's the cleaner and we know he or she goes every day for 4 o'clock and she has to keep the door propped open for 5 minutes, we look at what is the timing set on that door. If it's 2 minutes and she needs 5, change it to 5 minutes. You'd be amazed how simple that is, yet elusive. And let's look at the last one, the guy with the AK-47. You see the AK-47? Call the cops. But that's how you do it. And that's how you move from 13,000 alarms a day to three alarms a day. So when you tell me that it's not the fault of the security manager who's not driving that governance model, who's not driving, because that's within his or her realm to address, that's where I disagree with you. That's a cop-out. And if you worked for me, I'd have you work a night shift. No, I, I'm sorry. I, again, I'm going to stand my ground here because I, I, I've seen too many examples of the security manager wanting to do the right thing, pushing for the right thing, but powers that be or, or, or uh, authorities superseding him. To me, it's, it's not a, you're, you're assuming that the relationship between the security program and the company is a good one, um, which when it is a good one, it's great. Everything works wonderfully. But most of the times, I don't think that that relationship is a good one. I think it's adversarial with a lot of the, the departments. You're there to, you know, for example, contractors on site. How many times does the freaking operational staff come to you and say, you can't stop my contractors? Work's got to be done. You can't slow them down. And so they start pushing for your guards to cut corners, uh, you know, ignore policies, ignore procedures. And so it's not that it doesn't exist and that it wasn't created properly. There's no support for it. And, and okay. how do you expect to get that when, when they've got greater allies? Well, clearly you are very stubborn and I'm not going to change your mind, but I will say to what you just said, if what you say is true, and I don't agree, okay, but let's go from the premise of what you said, and I know there are a lot of pressures on security managers, then that too, the manager himself is part of the veil. He's an illusion. You look to him saying, he's the guy in charge. He's the guy with the knowledge, and he's the guy that's going to keep us safe. And that, too, is a veil. That, too, is an illusion. And that's a bigger problem. So it's sort of, you know, even though we disagree on this point, we're still in line with the topic of the day, the veil of security. And I guess the buck stops, you know, the buck stops at the top. If if the manager is ineffective, not because he's not a good manager, but he just can't navigate or he's being uh, held down, then you got to start with that. And until you can change that, let that expert, that person who's trained in security management, CPP, experience, all that, let him do his or her job, nothing will flow. That's the number one thing. You can fix the cameras all you want. Yes. So I'm going to give you this. If you can't get that piece working, and I'm not even going to blame him then, I'm going to, I, I, you know, I disagree with you, but uh, assuming you're right, I'm not even going to blame him. Until you address that piece, that interface of the manager to the upper managers, 
you'll never fix your fault. Yeah, but th- isn't that the underlying problem with the freaking industry? Because I, well, I don't think so, though. I think because too many of us are too too meek or, or, well, or underqualified. Maybe underqualified, but hey, meek. I mean, you, can, you would you describe yourself as meek? No, I would nor, say, you, nor you. Right. Nor, so, nor you, but there's a lot of people that we know that are maybe not as senior as us that for okay, all sorts of reasons. I would also say that it, we know that the examples, the amount of examples out there, real life examples where the security top dog, whoever that may be, reports to at least the, the CEO, if not the board, but let's say even the CEO or a part of the executive management team, let's see even go that to that level, is almost negligent, right? Most security people reporting at much lower level. Yes, and that, right. And that's the fundamental problem I'm talking about. Because you don't even get the opportunity to be, to voice your concerns to those higher levels. Because I I think truly I believe if we had more visibility to the C-suite, if not the board, security would be much more respected because those boards are way more risk averse than the guys operating the business operations out in the field. Well, listen, whether the security manager or the director of security or whatever you want to call them has the visibility or access to the C-suite or not is sort of secondary, I believe. Someone with responsibility for the portfolio, and that means if security uh, uh, reports into an operations VP or whatever, has to have that access. And to your point, if you can't access the people that manage the risk, you will never get control of the situation. You'll, you'll never be able to lift that. You'll never be able to eliminate the veil. And again, the veil will be lifted. You know, I want our listeners to realize this. You can fool me now. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You get in front of a court with one of these uh, negligent security lawyers. They're going to lift that veil. They're going to subpoena. They're going to, through disclosure, get the documentation on your training, on your program. And you're going to be laid bare naked in front of a court that's going to look at this million-dollar corporation, multi-million-dollar corporation that has a duty of care to take care of their employees and the people that are using the organization's services or property, and they are going to nail you. And again, Lloyds of London may protect you and then cut a check for a million dollars to pay the damages. But I'll tell you, if someone with COVID uh, goes into a restaurant and that restaurant is cavalier with people's safety, I don't care. I'm not going to that restaurant. They've lost my business. And once you lose business, you can't get it back, and you may lose your whole business. Of course, it doesn't happen often enough, otherwise we wouldn't be having this discussion. No, it doesn't. But, you know, it does in the States, and we're starting to see this in Canada. And, and, and I think, you know, it's like you pay me now or pay me later. I think as security professionals, our job is to look at what can be and proactively respond rather than be a response person. We want to look what's coming down last our last uh, podcast, I think two podcasts go on intelligence. Okay, you want to look at what's coming down the highway, and I think you said it really, really well. It's not just being a vacuum cleaner and taking up all the information. What is the information that's meaningful to what you're engaged in at the moment? And I think when you look at risk and you say, "Hey, we better do something to fix these cameras, or we better make sure these guards are trained, or we have enough guards to respond," because if we don't, this is a risk that's going to bite us, and it may really, really hurt us. <laughs> One of the things that that crystallizing in my mind through our discussion is that the veil itself, how we, how you define veil of security, can change from from topic to topic. Like we, we've talked about the veil when it comes to establishing governance and those documents that the 
companies ask you to sign but nobody really reads and what that means. You know, we talked about the technology, but you can really apply it to all kinds of things. You can talk about the guards and, uh, you know, the perception of, of security when you walk into that lobby. We talked about it all previously about if crap hits the fan, does that guy you have in the lobby look like he can take care of business? And if, and if you hesitate and your answer is no, then your program really needs to be reassessed. So that, that, that's a different form of veil of security. You start off with the premise, why do we have security? Antipathy, irrespective of what your uh, mission statement might be, most of them are around the area of to protect people and asset and business process. That's why we have security. The veil exists when that's why you exist, but you're not delivering. So it's really that simple. A security, like a restaurant does one thing. A restaurant doesn't sell you a car. It doesn't do an oil change, okay? It doesn't sell real estate. It gives you something to eat. The only reason Cadillac Fairview or GW Realty Advisors or Ivan O. Cambridge has security, because that's not their business, is to protect the asset, the people in the buildings that they manage. That's the only reason. And if you can't fulfill that, then that's a veil. That's an illusion and that's a problem. And I think that's what we're talking about. I, I really think that a lot of what we see in society, and I, you know, forget about commercial real estate, we talked about airports, we talked about walking into a uh, retail store. You know, uh, I was listening to Crime Beat. It's a global podcast uh, and talked about very sensational crimes. And it's an excellent, excellent podcast. But I think you should listen to ours before you listen to theirs. But there was, uh, she was talking about a brutal sexual assault which occurred in Calgary. The one of the witnesses to the assault was in a, an apartment, a residence, ran outside and saw a police car. And rather than call 911, she, she ran as fast as she could to the police car. And the police officers, and she explained what was happening, and the victim was very injured in a bad state. And the police officer's response was, we're traffic, call 911. Well, the partner, who was a female partner, said, screw that, we're going in and we're going to help yeah. this lady. That was a veil of security. That was an illusion. She saw a police car. She needed help. She went there, and that help wasn't forthcoming. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's probably an exact, perfect example where you think you're safe, you think there's a security program or technology to protect you, and it fails. Everyone, you know, has a responsibility. We're talking about that. We're telling people that you're safe to come into our building. You're safe to fly in this airplane, and you're not. That's an illusion. You're not. That's one element of many elements we got to look at. Are you happy now as you sit back? <laughs> Are you going to talk? I keep looking at you. You're not saying I no emotion, I no nothing. Know. I don't have a chance to talk. You're you're uh, you're you're pontificating now. You're on a roll, so I start just let you roll. Your parents uh, brought you up really well. You don't know uh, Jeez, uh, I'm a polite guy. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> jeez. No, I lost my train of thought altogether. Well, uh, yeah. I just want to say two more things. You know, we talk about, <laughs> talk about technology, people, and process. Part of the veil is when you have humanoids and uniforms to say security that aren't trained, that aren't mission ready. That's the other big problem. Third part, which goes to your governance piece where I disagree with you, is process. You've got to have process and protocols that tie this all together. And the people, the process, technology have to be integrated. They can't be standalone. It can't be like in your buildings when you used to work for that other company. You did one thing right. And the other <laughs> didn't exist. It's got to be like the buildings that I manage, oh, yeah. where all three elements <laughs> existed. 
they were integrated. They were a force multiplier. Oh, so people processing technology, that's where I want to go. I think you went to the Twilight Zone again. You just go on and on. I got my point. Break it down. You know, I think we agree, though. You just said the same thing. It, you, you, you know, the policies, governance, all that has to work together. My the only issue I have is that you, I think you put an inordinate amount of, of faith on the security leadership being the sole person responsible for the success of that. And I don't agree with that. I think it has to be um, supported by, by the business in which it's operating. Too many businesses put a security person in, in play or in a position just for the sake of saying, well, the guy down the street's got security. I must have security. But they don't well, really that, understand why it's there. But that's the veil of security. And yeah, the, the, but, but, but the buck has to stop with the security director or manager. You can't say it's not my fault. He or she has to take a position and say, if this organization is not going to do the right thing that I'm trained to do, then they stop being, and if they continue to say, I'm going to still work here, they stop being a professional and they're just an enabler. Enabler yeah, well, of the that's, that's, that's a different argument, though. So validating what, I, what, I, what I'm saying. Listen, I've been in both situations. I've been in a situation where my boss, my security leader boss, was asking me to do things which I thought were uh, offside or not appropriate. I took that right up to the top, like the CEO of the company. And to his credit, you know, he listened to he listened to my concerns and agreed that they were an issue. But all he wanted us to do was hug things out, and and I made the decision that I had to go because I couldn't accept that culture. But, but but that's exactly my point. I know you. I've known you for many many years. You, you know, you would not put up with that. And what I'm saying is that we have an obligation. You know, I'm not talking about mid level or junior managers. But I'm talking about people that run programs. I too have made decisions saying this isn't going to work, and I'm not willing to sell my professional soul and integrity to continue this. Now. I'm not saying quit necessarily, but I did everything I needed to do to be able to sleep well at night. And if that didn't work well with my employer, we would part ways. I think we need that because I believe the buck stopped with me. And I would say this about Lucky Luciano. I know you believe the same thing because I've seen you operate and you do the right thing. You're one of the most moral, focused people out there and you don't give up. Thank you for that. <laughs> Boy, this is terrible. I want to knock you down and I'm saying all sorts yeah. of great things about Holy you. No, but you're, and really, you know what? There's a cohort that we belong to, and none of them would give up. They all would do the right thing. And that's what you need. And, and again, I want to be fair. You know, my son is a young security manager, and he's starting out, and he's in his early 30s. I, you know, he can't pull off the things that I or you or, or others can pull off that are more tenured and senior. But you need that to make sure you don't have a veil. And unless you have a strong management backbone within the security organization, the company, you will you always have an illusion of, you will only have an illusion of security. Which is what I think, again, the biggest problem we have is that most companies aren't where you're, you're the level you're talking about, few companies are up there, and the ones that are, are usually the top, like, big companies with the money to do it, they've had their asses burned or handed to them for whatever reason, so they've learned their lessons. But I, I really don't see that that applicable to any mid-level or, or, or small organization. They just don't have the time, resources, or understanding to it. Well, let's, let's run with that for a second. If what you say is true, and I'm not sure that you're wrong, that means that are you saying that the veil of security exists in a lot of places? And a lot of people will see security technology people process and are feeling secure 
wrongly so. I read something interesting in the Wall Street Journal actually this morning talking about it was a book. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, it was on Amazon, and it was a book by some Homeland Security guy, and I forget his name right now. But he talked about the veil of uh, uh, the illusion of security with protection of the U.S. homeland. Yeah. And he said, with the billions and billions, close to trillions of dollars spent in defense in the U.S., you would think that America has learned their lesson since 9-11. But he did an expose, an investigative piece, saying, it's just a joke. Yeah. We've got planes and we've got soldiers, but we don't have a plan or we don't have pilots to fly those planes. That, so, so, you know, based on what you just said, if that is the norm, that's a problem. And I think companies have to wake up and say, there's a better chance you're part of that veil and illusion than you're the small percentage that are getting it right. If that's what you're saying, I think we're full, in full agreement because that has been my experience. That's exactly what I'm saying. The guys who are in the business aren't trying to do their job and that they're not good at what they're doing. But it's the perception of the program that's the issue, yeah. um, not necessarily because the program drives the type of guards that you have and the type of technology you have. So if you've got a guard who's sitting there in his running shoes, uh, and his shirt untucked, and you know he doesn't have body armor because you don't want to pay for it. That to me is a failure veil of security from the program, not the guys who are in the program, because they're there, they're the result of the program. If your program sucks, if it's not performing at its optimum, that's the that's the manager of the program's fault. Well, then you know what I think. Actually, you you've almost done a commercial for Brian Clayman and Associates, but I, <laughs> you, you know. Uh, no, but seriously speaking, I really think it behooves uh, business leaders to get some third-party expert, uh, you know, that's impartial, that's third-party, to look at it and to look at the effectiveness of the program or what the consequences are. And and I, I, I'm not saying this to drum up business, but you really, you know, what do we do every year at year end? We don't get our accounting department or finance department to do the books. We get third-party auditors. I think we've got to do the same thing over here because, again, the results of getting it wrong are so great. And I've always taken the position, uh, my, my leaders never liked it when I said that, but it's not about the money. It's about the brand. You lose the brand, that's really hard to get back. You can always work hard and make the money you lost. Your insurance premium comes goes up. Well, okay, you work harder and you pay it. You lose that brand. We talked about it, I think, under crisis communication of Maple Leaf Foods when they had the Listeria thing. They work tirelessly because they realize that if we don't get control on this situation, the brand will be impacted. We will no longer have a business. I think that's a lesson that we have forgotten, that when we allow security to be inappropriate or just an illusion. That's such a problem. <laughs> you went completely off the, the other direction. Uh... <laughs> like you can't – well. I was going to say, you can't have a marital affair and then become the president of the U.S. Well, so much for that. <laughs> so, so I guess the point would be, you can't be a bank robber, a convicted bank robber, and then want to be as a bank manager. Like, So you've got to protect your brand. Okay, Brian, so to wrap things up, I just want to land on some takeaways for our listeners so that, uh, you know, hopefully they got something out of our rambling for, for the last hour or so. What would you say the main takeaways would be in, in regarding the security? I think it goes back to the common theme that I always rely on. You have to examine and ask yourself, why do we have a security program? And then B, is my investment in security, is it fulfilling that objective, that mission? I think that's important. I think if we just do that, we will be able to identify whether we have a veil or not, whether our program is an illusion or not. 
And then we can make a decision. What do we want to do about it? Are we going to maintain the status quo or make some changes? And I think the important aspect to keep in mind is that at the end of the day, if you, if you don't bring down that veil and make sure that, that it's not just a veil, then you're opening yourself up to that liability. Um, the duty of care goes out the window because, uh, you know, obviously if you can't fulfill what you're promising your customers and your tenants to be yeah. real, that come back and bite you. Yeah. And don't sleep well at night. I sleep well at night thinking that my locks will hold and the alarm system will let me know someone is breaking through the window. If if it's a veil, if it's an illusion, if there's no one at the other end monitoring that alarm, I'm not going to be sleeping well at night. And I think that's the takeaway. You've got to really test and make sure what you think you have, you actually have. For me, I think for security guard, for security people, certainly that would be difficult to sleep at night knowing that there's a hole in your program and you know that it's there, that you're not able to close it. So I think the, the last piece of that would be if you are one of those security people and you've got that hole, you got to push it up the chain. Don't let it just sit there and turn the other way. As much as it might be easier to do that, you might have other people telling you to do that. You're going to have to live with that if it goes if something happens. So do your best to push it up the chain and get the authority to close it. You know, in my last job, I would, especially on the weekends, but most evenings, I I had 300 plus properties that it, you know I had oversight for, and I would go to bed at night fearful of waking up the next morning to figure out what phone calls or emails would be on my desk with things that went wrong overnight. I realized, And I felt that way because early on in my tenure with that organization, it was just a veil. It was just an illusion. And I worked hard so that I could sleep well. Ultimately, towards the end, I was sleeping a hell of a lot better. Not just because I wished it to get better, I did something about it. On this, we can agree. We both can sleep with a clear conscience knowing that we've yeah. accomplished something. Um, whether or not people like it, we uh, can care less. At least it's, I, I'm good with it. And, and yeah. So for all those security professionals listening, um, if you're having trouble pushing it up the chain, keep trying, plug it, yeah. or move somewhere else, go somewhere else, because uh, it's going to come back and bite somebody, and you don't want to be the one to, to, to be in the way of that. So with that, Brian, I think we're done with this topic. Got ep- episode 7 coming in a couple of weeks. Um, again, thanks to everyone for uh, for listening. Um, make sure you visit our sponsor site and like us if, uh, if you appreciate uh, what we're doing. And um, leave your comments. We're happy to listen, as we say, uh, on every episode. And Brian? Yeah, some exciting stuff in Season 2. We've got some great ideas. And uh, I like the whiskey and cigars, so more yes. to come. Whiskey and cigars would be nice if COVID doesn't put a stop to that. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Damn uh, COVID. Yeah. Until then, bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Be safe. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets. (laughs) 